This episode of the Commerce Marketer Podcast is brought to you by Bronto Software, the leading email provider to the global internet retailer 1000. For more ideas on how to improve your marketing automation and to take your email to the next level, visit www.bronto.com resources. Have you ever spent 12 hours staring at a computer screen just to see if a garden bonbon would grow? Amazingly, some people have. Or at least they kept checking back from time to time to see if it was for no other reason than... Well, I don't really know the reason, but this itself is the power of social media. So welcome to the Commerce Marketer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Zakwitz, and we all know that social media and content marketing is rapidly becoming a growing part of a retailer's marketing strategy. In today's episode, we're going to talk social media, content marketing, wins and failures associated with such, and for another reason, whatever else we kind of want to talk about. So joining me today in the conversation is the founder and CEO of VAT19.com, Jamie Salvatore. Welcome to the show, Jamie. Thanks for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. This should be fun. So Jamie, you are the second Jamie S we've had on the show now. So oh. I'm going to hold you to a pretty good comparison during the episode today. I hope that's all right with you. I will represent for all Jamie's. Jamie S's at that. Jamie S's. Exactly. Yes. I will try <laughs> to represent. So we want to differentiate you between the other Jamie S we've had here. To separate yourself from, from that Jamie here, why don't you give the audience a little background about yourself and about who VAT19.com is? Sure. VAT19 is kind of like two things. We are a online retail gift store and we sell what we call curiously awesome products. And we're also a fairly popular YouTube channel where we try to promote those products, but also have a lot of fun. So we make a variety of different types of video content. Some of it is very commercial in nature. We'll make literally commercials about the products that we sell, but then sometimes we do weird, crazy stuff to just try to promote our channel and brand. And our YouTube channel drives most, if not all of the traffic to our store. We sell really kind of strange stuff, but it falls into a couple different categories. We sell a lot of candy. We sell a lot of toys. We sell a decent amount of gadgets, and we kind of go for the sort of inner child, if you will. So some of our most popular items are a five-pound gummy bear, a three-pound gummy worm. Actually, let me look up and see what's popular this minute. Oh, a slushy maker lets you make a slushy from your favorite drink in less than a minute. Uh, also on the most popular list is the a little gadget you can wear on your wrist that lets you shoot out fireballs. So it's um, a, a wide range of weird stuff that we promote with crazy videos on YouTube. So how did you decide that that was a good business to get into? You know, you sit around one day and be like, hey, I should just accumulate a bunch of really huge gummy things and, and fireball wrist shooters and things like that. How'd you, how'd you get into that business? Well, there was no business plan, which is... Um... Typical. Typical. Yeah. I graduated college and I, I thought I was going to be like a web designer or something like that. And um, instead, I got sort of involved in our family business, um, which was video production. And I found that I hated it. Um, I, I did not like making videos for ad agencies or, you know, sort of the, the medium sized businesses in, in the St. Louis area, which pretty much is like 
car dealers, grocery stores, and then like big corporations that want really boring marketing trading videos. And it's just terrible content. I hated making it. Plus, we weren't really making any money doing it. So I thought, well, if we could control the products that we're making commercials for, then we could make really wild and fun to make commercials, right? Once you've made one car dealer commercial, you've made them all. Once you've made one commercial for a grocery store, you've, you've made them all. So the idea was if, if we had a store where there wasn't really like a theme to it, then you wouldn't get bored making the videos. So, you know, it was easy to cross off the list like, you know, oh, let's make a store all about tennis rackets. It's like once you've made you know, five or 10 tennis racket videos, you feel like you'd run out of stuff to, to say about them and you'd probably get bored. So the idea was let's find products that need to be demonstrated, but that aren't all the same. And let's see what happens because we literally could not do worse than how we were currently doing. I mean, when you're losing money, you'll try anything. So how did you source, you know, kind of out of the box type products there? Did you, was it happenstance that you came across something? It was like, oh, you know what? This is not a bad idea. Or did you know someone that was like, oh, you check out these, this site over here, or this, this distributor over here that sells these random things. How did you get to the assortment or the sourcing of these products? I mean, that took a really long time. So what you see now on our site is, you know, like 10 or 11 years in, you know, we started trying to um, find products in maybe 2006, 2007. And so for the first couple of years, the site was really weird because there was only, you know, maybe a hundred products on there and there was no theme or connection to it other than just this is some random stuff. And I mean, we'd try anything that seemed interesting. There wasn't really like one place that you can go to. So we would, you know, you might find a vendor with a catalog and they've got 600, 700 different items that they're wholesaling and we'll flip through it. Let's say it's a kitchen, kitchen wholesaler and they've got, you know, all the stuff that you would kind of expect, but maybe they carry one or two like weird or quirky things. So that's what makes it hard for us is that, you know, we can't go to one of these distributors and just say, Hey, Give, give me your top 400 items and, you know, snap your fingers. And now you've got like a little kitchen boutique store or whatever. I mean, we're, we're going to hundreds of different vendors and we're just picking out like one or two weird products that we feel like could benefit from a video demonstration and then try to make like kind of a weird quirky video about that product. So it took like a really long time to find products that, we thought were interesting and then have the store like feel like it made sense and maybe it still doesn't yeah that's really cool do you remember what the very first product that you settled on was um i, I don't remember like the the very first product because there's like a little bit more or maybe i do and there's a little bit more backstory so as i was making these these terrible videos and, and commercials for companies here in st louis I thought the most obvious product to start with would be video content. So you got to remember in 2000, the early 2000s, DVDs were like so 
hot. You could basically put any trash onto a DVD and, and it would sell. And that's <laughs> kind of what I did for a little bit. So we made like, you know, like the Yule log video where it's just like a fireplace burning. So yep. like I went and recorded like friends and families, fireplaces and put that onto a DVD. So that was some of like the first products we were selling on our site, but it became very difficult to keep having to like make the product and sell it as well. Sure. So when we very first started, the obvious place to start with was products that like related to these DVDs. So I think one of the very first products I added was a candle that smelled like a fireplace. So the idea was like, buy the DVD fireplace, buy, <laughs> buy the candle, and now you've got like the whole sensory experience going on. That's pretty good. Yeah, it, was, it probably started with there, and then we kind of like branched out. And I don't want to mention too many of the other products because then people try to go and find those videos, and they're, they're so bad. <laughs> I don't want anybody to find them. So that's funny because you were describing how you're going recording your friend's fireplaces and i immediately thought of the uh the seinfeld episode where the coffee table book and i'm like you could have famous people's fireplaces on a dvd or whatever so <laughs> so i led into this podcast yeah. where we're talking about content marketing and social media and stuff like that and we barely touched on any of those things so far so i'm gonna try to get myself back onto the rails a little bit you had mentioned before jamie that you guys use youtube to drive traffic to your site and you said most of this traffic comes from the website so let's tie this back in here. How do you guys view social media today? Do you view them as social platforms? Do you view them as sales platforms? Are they marketing vehicles, a combination of these things? Right. So I have a fairly cynical perspective. So I, I guess like I don't really consider YouTube to be a, a social media platform. I sort of reserve Facebook. Um, oops, sorry. <laughs> got my, my devices are all making noise. I'm going to turn them all off here. You've ruined the podcast. I know. Okay. It was nice meeting you. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> okay. So I sort of have a very cynical view of, of social media. So first, I, I kind of separate YouTube. I don't really feel like YouTube is a, is a social media platform because it doesn't really have the ability to sort of share stuff with your friends. So I feel like it's just a content consumption platform where you have the ability to call into the radio show and, and type ridiculous comments. I sort of reserve the moniker of social media for like Facebook, I, I guess, Instagram, you know, and, and Twitter. And for my business, for other people, th those platforms might do great things for their business. But for me, I've had not very much success using Facebook for any sort of business good. And Twitter, same kind of feeling. Instagram maybe is, is, is a little better, but those platforms aren't really big drivers for us. YouTube is really what we focus more on. And I know Facebook has been trying to get into video, but we, we could do a whole hour on the problems we've had with Facebook and the theft of content and, how I feel like Facebook isn't and rightfully so not that interested in helping businesses promote themselves without spending a ton of money with them. So we view YouTube a lot more favorably than those other platforms. You had mentioned that you, you guys just haven't had success on some of the other, on some of the social networks, but 
we talked about Facebook or you talked about Facebook. Have you not found success there because of the nature of their setup where you've got to kind of pay for play? Or do you just find the audience for whatever reason is just not compelled or, or not interested on, on what you guys promote on Facebook? Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, it, it could be some of both. The pay to play thing is is a huge part of it. And I don't really blame Facebook for that. Uh, so I've, I've tried paying and, and just not had a lot of success with it because our retail store is sort of a traditional retail store in that we're reselling other people's products. So our margins are pretty stuck at about 50%. I, I buy something for you know a, a dollar and I sell it for, for $2. And if you try to get into direct response selling on Facebook, and I've, I've tried it. I mean, I've, I've blown a lot of money trying Facebook ads and a couple things would always seem to happen. Um, it, it might be profitable for the first week your ad is running, but they go stale so fast within another week or two. So three weeks total, I feel like you're, you're not making any money. Uh, you're starting to lose money. So then you try like, oh, I'll try like branding on Facebook. I'll try to just get people to, to sort of like my Facebook page, right? You don't need to leave Facebook, God forbid, and even check out our website. All you have to do is like, like our page and then, right, we'll, we'll get all these new fans. And then, and then I can sort of promote to them, quote unquote, for free. You know, so I went and paid for about 50,000 new fans. We have like 200,000 now and I, I paid by fake fans, but you know what I mean? I, I spent money to get 50,000 new, new fans and um, you have no reach. You know, I mean, you, you, you put up a, a organic post or whatever, and it's like, Hey, we showed this to like, you know, 1500, 2000 people, but we have 200,000 fans. So you pay for this ability to then market to these people that have you know, so-called sort of subscribe to you or become fans of you. And they just never see your message. So you're wondering, why am I bothering with this? You know, it's going to cost too much money to, to build it up. And then you're getting like a 1% open rate or whatever on your, on, on the content that you post and you're paying 20, 25 cents to get each new, you know, subscriber. So it's just, the, the math doesn't work out for us. I just, couldn't justify it. So I stopped it all. And we just went back to what we were regularly doing. And every week we're shedding subscribers now or shedding fans because, uh, so I keep saying subscribe. I'm so used to YouTube, you know, losing uh, fans all the, all the time because, you know, you sort of like bought them, I guess. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm like, this is just um, a nightmare. The, the potential, what they sell you on is so great. You know, oh, if you can just get, you know, 10, 12-year-old girls to to share your message and then 10 of their friends, blah, 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 you know, it's, it's going to go viral and take over and it's going to be huge. Just has never happened for us. I, I think the- What's happened more- Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I think the overriding 
point and lesson there is, and this is probably something that a lot of retailers are, are struggling with is, I, I, you know, I talk to people, whether they, they run social media ad agency or social media agencies, or just retailers who are in social and Facebook is a high driver of sales form. So I, I think that's going to be somewhat specific to your business, but other channels like YouTube might be very low on their totem pole, right? So you kind of have the, the opposite effect. And I think the, the overall lesson is you looked at it and said, you know, the, the numbers don't add up to me. And I, I think you, you kind of pulled a plug on it and said, the numbers don't add, add up, I'm not doing it. I think a lot of retailers struggle with, hey, everyone keeps telling me Facebook's so great and I'm putting money in there and I'm not seeing the return. And their tendency might be to stick it out because Facebook, everyone keeps telling them Facebook is so great. And I think, you know, to me, the lesson would be if the numbers don't add up and you're not seeing it, you got to pull the plug and kind of be done with it at that point. So, you know, you guys did it. And I, I think a lot of retailers do struggle with how to actually do that. And they're scared to break away from something they know could work or is working for other people. Yeah. You know, you got to keep watering those weeds, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not going to do it. You can get tricked pr pretty easily into thinking of believing in crazy concepts like, you know, lifetime value of a customer and, and, and a bunch of junk. And for some retailers, uh, Facebook might work really well for them. I would venture to think that retailers that maybe make their own products and you, you can't really get them elsewhere or it's a very high margin item uh, might do better, but all that matters to you in your business is if it works for you, who cares if it works for somebody else, like great for them, but if it doesn't work for you. You got to stop. You got to move on and try something else. And I have tried Facebook, you know, several times every once in a while, I'll, I'll get another bug or I'll read some, you know, article and be like, Oh, maybe it'll work now. I'll, I'll try like, related audiences or so i'll take all like the email addresses from everyone that's bought from me and i'll upload them to facebook and and i mean that that was a no difference you know e equally bad so I, I facebook just isn't right for us yeah it makes sense let's talk about youtube for a minute because that is right for you so you guys have 1200 plus youtube videos so a pretty substantial number you mentioned you know you guys were doing that 11 years ago which I mean, at the time, YouTube was relatively in its infancy. Yeah. You have a video background. So a lot of those things made sense, and you explained that before. But video is much tougher to produce than getting Photoshop and overlaying some text on an image and just making it look good. You need scripting. You need cameras. You need props. You need editing of those scripts. You need people acting those things. You need the people recording them. So, I mean, the budget is much more expensive to produce. And now you guys, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you have multiple full-time people just doing videos for you. At what point, even knowing you have an added cost associated with it, did you guys look at this and say, you know what, this is worth it. This is where the bank for the buck is going to be. Can you walk us through that pivotal moment and be like, yep, this is it. Let's, let's invest in it. Well, that was never really a question in my mind. When I started the store, how is it going to be different. And at that time, back in I don't know, 2005, 2006, most stores had like one picture of the product, usually supplied by the manufacturer, a short description of the product, usually supplied by the manufacturer, and that's it. And I thought, okay, let's do lots of photos and a video. That's why we should pick products that kind of do something. So that's why we don't sell a lot of like decor on our website. I want the product to need a video in order to 
um, help explain the product and sell it. So that was requirements. We, we were going to do this with video and we got into YouTube because it was free to host our videos there. I mean, that was the reason why I put them there to, to begin with. And funny little side note, I mean, this is 10, 11, 12 years ago. So back then, other companies trying to sell bandwidth for content would call and say, oh my gosh, are you really sure you want that sort of low-end YouTube branding on your website with your videos. I mean, we can, we can, you know, we can stream your videos for you. It's only going to be $3,000 a month and we can get rid of all that branding and you, you know, and it was just funny that no one would think twice about embedding a YouTube video on their website now, but back then it was, Ooh, are you sure you want to have that on your, on your website? YouTube was just a place to put the videos and host them for free. And they played back really well back in 2006, 2007. I mean, the experience was good. And to sort of answer your question, I've never really calculated the like return on investment of the videos. You know, it's something that I love to do. And I think that it's important and it's worked for our store. It's the heart and soul of the company. Was there ever a moment when you were getting approached by those different companies, was there ever a moment where you seriously considered, hey, you know what, maybe I shouldn't have this YouTube thing branded over, you know, overlaying the video. Was there ever a moment there or did you just know, hey, it's free, it works, it plays back, the experience is just fine, I'm good. Oh, salespeople are good. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought about it, but like didn't have the money. So I was just like, well, Easy decision. Yeah, e e easier decision. But yeah, I'm sure like me and the marketing person here probably like spent two hours like debating it one day probably. And it was just like, ah, it's not, <laughs> that's not worth it. So 11 years ago, do you remember what your first video was? Yeah, I do. Uh, well, the well, I think it was for um, this thing called the USB Circus Cannon. It was this little toy that you would you would put on your desk. I mean, back then, like, USB gadgets were hot, you know, it was like USB fans and USB drink warmers and these little USB toys. And you could sort of put this thing on your desk and put little Nerf darts into it and kind of, you could control it with your keyboard and, and, and shoot stuff. <laughs> that was one of the earliest products. The video is horrific. Please don't go look at it. That was an early one. Very cool. What was your, uh, what's your favorite video? Oh man, that's tough. Cause we've made so many. I think my favorite is for the world's largest gummy worm. That video has got to be about seven years old now, but it's, I think views wise, our second most viewed video. And it's for a product that since we launched it back then has been in our top three bestsellers consistently for that entire time frame. It was also a lot of fun to make. And I kind of, I, I made some of it with my dad, which was fun. So it, it's a good one. Do you know offhand how big that gummy worm is? Is it like a 30 pound thing? That, that one? No, no, no. Um, it's, it's way more manageable. Uh, it's only three pounds. Okay. Um, it's about 26 inches long, about 4,000 or so calories. It's got two, two flavors in there. You need some help to get through it, right? I think, you know, it's a good, good party, good party product. So you've never eaten one all by yourself? I've tried, but I've never... <laughs> I've never been successful. Three pounds of gummies is a lot to put down in one session. All right, here's here's the call out, the gummy worm challenge. Go buy an immense gummy worm and see if you can eat. <laughs> yeah, if you can do it in an hour, um, 
yeah, I don't know. I was gonna say you bucks. can give them a free gummy worm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give you no, you give you a free one. Yeah, because you'll end up throwing that one up, and <laughs> you'll need another one. You gave a presentation over the summer at IRC, and uh, you in that presentation you mentioned that you guys were humming along, in and then in in 2016, something happened that really made you guys take pause there. So can you walk the audience through what you experienced in 2016 from a uh, traffic standpoint and just kind of what you're seeing from the social side and then what you ultimately learned from it? Well, in the summer of 2016, it's fairly widely reported that YouTube made an algorithm change and people that deal with, you know, SEO are familiar with oh no, you know, an algorithm change that has dramatic impact. And we saw over a very short period of time in the summer of 2016, our number of views dropped pretty substantially. I don't remember the exact number, but it was 40 or 50% drop. And the, the details of sort of what YouTube did aren't really that substantial but basically, by the nature of having a large audience, which we had at the time, you know, having a, a large number of subscribers, maybe we had 3 million at that time, I don't know, you were just sort of, quote unquote, guaranteed that each new video you put up was going to get huge views. I mean, almost every single video we put up in 2016, we get a million views within a week or, or so. And we just thought that was the norm. And in fact, we sort of thought like, gee, like we have 3 million subscribers, like shouldn't each video be getting like at least 3 million views, you know, for like everyone that's subscribed. So that's no longer the case. Maybe you get five or 10% now. It's so much more competitive on YouTube. So we really had to take a look at the types of videos and the type of content we were making and refocus what we were doing and, and then YouTube, as it's grown, has gotten so much more competitive. There's so much more content on there that it's very difficult to stand out. Your thumbnail and title are probably the most important part of your video, content aside. So it really caused us to have to like shift our focus. And obviously, when you lose 40 to 50% of the views of the thing that drives all the traffic to your website, your website traffic drops substantially, your orders drop substantially, um, and your revenue drops substantially. So it's like all of the worst things combined into one. And it was pretty terrible, to be honest with you. And it's taken us a really long time. We still, I don't think we're back to those 2016 levels of views, but we've we sort of stopped the bleeding and we've got the trend going back up in the right direction. Uh, so, you know, all of our marketing is on YouTube. So when something happens to YouTube, it can kill the whole business pretty quickly. So a smart person would diversify. Um, but <laughs> I was just going to say, does that scare you? Yeah, of course. Like, do you, do you, do you lie awake at night thinking about that sometimes being like, man, it's tomorrow the day where I'm going to have to go through this again and, and try to do something. Um, it's, it's possible. Um, it's also sort of, you know, yeah. Oh yeah. You know, you should, you should diversify all that marketing, but there's also, you know, you could be diversifying. So I, I tried to put a bunch of money into, into 
Facebook and that, that, that didn't work really at all. Sure. So uh, we went back to YouTube and said, you know, we've got to analyze this, figure out what went wrong or what happened and then see what we can do to sort of fix it and really focus on making like better content, the type of content we think that, you know, YouTube is now favoring and looking for. So we kind of shifted the type of content we were making. And, but to answer your question, yeah, it is scary to have a lot of your business relying on one channel, but um, many businesses are the same. Think of how many businesses, if they lost their number one, like client or customer would be extremely devastated. Are you comfortable sharing that you said you mentioned that you're now creating, you shifted the content creation more to what YouTube is looking for. Are you comfortable sharing with what they're looking for? Sure. Well, no one really knows exactly how the YouTube algorithm works. They don't even know because it's, you know, machine learning and, but, but they have goals, right? So they want longer watch time. They want people spending a lot of time on YouTube watching stuff. So you, you can look at simple metrics like, you know, how much of a video is someone watching? And so if, if people, you know, if you've got a five minute long video and, and people bail after the first 45 seconds, that's probably not something that YouTube is going to want to promote and, and present to a lot of people. So that's one big factor. You got to make sure the content is good. And, and when someone does watch it, they stick around and watch a, a lot of it. And so we were making mostly videos that were like commercials explaining what our, you know, our products and, and trying to make them fun and entertaining. But what you could find a lot of the time is, you know, people would sort of understand what the product is in the first maybe 20 or 30 seconds of the video, then maybe not hang around for the whole thing. Or they decide after 20 or 30 seconds, oh, that's not really for me. Like I'm not that interested in, in, in that product and and sort of leave so we had to make the videos we had to find a type of content that was more widely appealing and then kind of work the product in there a little bit less overtly so we sort of make fewer straightforward product commercials and now they're a little bit more like a traditional youtube video where you know, we do something fun and entertaining and then there's sort of like a product sort of worked in there so we're almost like doing brand integration into our own videos if, if, if that makes sense so i can give you an example yeah i love i love examples okay one of the most popular videos we put out this year was we made the world's largest bath bomb it was a two thousand pound bath bomb it's four foot in diameter weighed two thousand pounds obviously that's just a crazy spectacle and obviously we don't sell 2000 pound bath bombs. The idea is to just like get a, attention. And then, you know, we, we sell, so we made that giant bath bomb, a black bath bomb in that it dyes the, turns the water black. And that's mimicking a normal size bath bomb that we sell that, that does the same thing. So the idea was we sort of, briefly mention this actual bath bomb that we sell, but really the video is about this 2000 pound bath bomb that we, that we made. And so that's sort of the shift in, in, in thinking is that there's a product in here, it's related in here, but it's, it's not like a commercial for that product. So that's a great example. The way you guys are making videos now compared to what you did before, right? So these subtle product placements, for lack of a better term, did that make the video production, the script writing, the process that you guys do in-house, did that make it 
harder for you? Did it make it easier for you? And in the same vein, does the new process seem to stifle creativity a little bit more or has it actually helped the creativity because you have you have to think a little more outside the box than you did before? Well, you know, we were we were kind of doing this stuff a, a couple years ago. We just weren't doing it very often. Okay. And basically we 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 changed the the sort of mix and just decided, hey, wait, these concept videos is how we refer to them because they're not really um, a product video. It, it, it has a larger concept and then there's some product mixed in. We were doing those maybe once a month before. Now we're trying to do a couple of those each week because they just perform so much better uh, on YouTube. But the, the difficulties that they present are that sometimes those videos are a lot more difficult to produce. Making a 2,000 pound bath bomb is a very big and expensive endeavor versus making like a simple sort of commercial, you know, showing off this regular size bath bomb that, that turns your bathtub black, right? So yes, it's, they're a bit more difficult to produce. So we, so we've had to figure out ways to, to, I can give you an, another example of something that's still a concept video, but didn't require spending, you know, $3,000 on materials just to make a 2000 pound bath bomb. We have this popular series of videos called real versus gummy, where we just sit at a table. And it started almost a whole genre of videos on YouTube, you go into YouTube and search for real versus gummy, there's there's so many videos. And we made the very first one, you basically sit at a table, and you spin a wheel, and it'll you know, have a, it has like worm, bear, snake, frog, all the different types of gummy that exist. And when you land on one, you get both the real thing and the gummy thing. And you're there with a friend and one of you has got to eat a real worm and the other one has to eat the gummy worm. Very nice. Yeah. So yes, it's got our products in there, but it's not like a commercial about those products but it's a lot easier to produce than say the, the 2000 pound bath bomb. So we had to get creative and clever and trying to figure out ways that we can make videos that aren't such in your face commercials, but also don't cost a fortune to make. So how easy was it to find someone that would say, yeah, I want to be in this video and yes, I'm willing to eat xyz in real life was that hard and like i'm assuming you don't put that language in like your employment contract you're like hey you might have to eat a worm at some point well one of the guys that worked here came up with that uh, idea so that's sort of like an unwritten rule i mean if you come up with the idea you have to participate so that's one guy down <laughs> that's fair um i'm yeah i'm willing to do most things and actually in that first video it's like, I think six or eight different people here. I mean, I think they were intrigued, like what a snake meat tastes like. And I'd like to eat a little bit of gator meat. And I mean, the worms was pretty gross, but there's some adventurous folks here that, you know, we sell a gummy brain and they were willing to eat some cow brain and they were willing to eat some cow tongue and all that. So were they cooked or raw? Uh, cooked. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Definitely. I'd be more down to do the, the cook stuff. Yeah. The worms were, were raw. Those were just you know, freshly dug up from the ground outside. Yeah, go pluck them outside, you know? Yeah, we just harvested those right real quick <laughs> outside. It's fun, though. You know, I think we've made three of those videos now, and they've been very, very popular. 
And I, I do have a follow-up question on the, the 2,000-pound bath bomb as well. So yeah. you guys are sitting around that room, whatever, meeting session, brainstorming sessions, whatever you're doing, and someone comes up. Who, so who comes up with the idea of a, a large bath bomb? That was, that was actually my, um, my idea. Okay. So I'm curious on the point of, okay, everyone says, yeah, that's, that's kind of cool. Let's do that. What did the, the poundage start at? Like, was it, hey, we should do a 50-pound? <laughs> like, how did you get to 2,000? Be like, all right, 2,000 is enough. But 1500 is not enough. Like, how'd you get to that number? <laughs> okay. So on that one, I originally was, it was going to be even bigger. <laughs> uh, we, we, we brought it, we brought it down because, you know, yeah, I wanted it to be gigantic because I'm thinking about, you know, the thumbnail and I'm thinking you got a, a grown adult standing next to this thing that gives you the scale and you're just like, you know, and you read the title and you're like bath bomb and you're just like, what I have to click on, like, what is this? So I wanted it to be originally six feet in diameter and we started doing some math and we were just like, okay, that's just too big. So we kept bringing it uh, down till we got to like something that was somewhat affordable. Like I was trying to get the costs under like of the raw materials i was trying to get the cost under like two thousand dollars so that's how that happened very cool before i kind of shift focus here you had mentioned two things before and you just followed up with one of them a second ago you mentioned that title and thumbnail are might be the two most important things in the video what makes a good title on youtube um i wish i knew the answer to that <laughs> i i don't know you got a guy in charge of titles there who, who worries about that yeah i mean sort of like we have um we have a Slack group called Titles. Um, and so me, our um, head of the video team, and our three writers are all in that show. So that's five people. So every week, you know, for the new videos that are coming out, we, we start a new thread and we just start throwing out ideas and talking about it. I mean, we'll spend like a half hour or more trying to figure out what, you know, what explains what you're going to see, but is intriguing, doesn't give everything away, right? So what you don't want is a title and thumbnail that make it so that you don't have to watch the video where you feel like, okay, I get it. I kind of know what this is going to be. I don't need to bother watching it. Um, you don't want that, but you don't want it to be so vague that, you know, you're not going to click on it. You obviously want to avoid clickbait. That's not good because you don't want a bunch of people clicking on your video and then leaving really early like I, I i talked about you gotta balance all of those things and look we get this wrong all the time so like we're no experts i mean we'll look at the analytics a couple of days after a video goes up and if the click-through rate isn't where we want it to be we'll, we'll change it you know we'll, we'll we'll try a different title as far as thumbnails are concerned we spend a lot of time on the thumbnails we actually you know take a photograph specifically to be each thumbnail we spend a lot of time on it sometimes we'll make multiple versions and we'll, we'll put it out there to a group of people and see what they think about it um, either on our community tab on youtube or there's a couple times where i've just like paid to put it out there on amazon mechanical turk and just say which of these images you prefer a or b and see if there's a preference we try to make it so that the thumbnail communicates in about two seconds when viewed really small, can uh, communicate something, a simple message that you know makes you want to click on it. Um, oftentimes, we'll try to include 
some text on that thumbnail because we know people don't always read your title. Yeah, we obsess a lot over that because um, it's the cover of your of your book. And if you look at your your stats in YouTube, they'll, they'll show you what that the click-through rate is, and it correlates to views almost perfectly. So if, if your title and thumbnail are driving low click-throughs, you're going to get low views. Uh, and the opposite is true as well. So, you know, I talked about you, you got to make sure people actually like watch your video and, and make it through. The, the, the correlation to retention in my experience, isn't nearly as strong as the correlation to click-through. So your title and thumbnail are almost, and this is a little bit of a hot take, but it's almost more important than the content of the video itself. That's awesome. And we got a hot take alert, which is even cooler. Yeah, gotta have those. <laughs> kind of wrap up the conversation here. Jamie, if you're moving into just another company, Retailer X today, and you want to start up a video you know, department there. Don't. <laughs> yeah, don't. How would retailers look at this? Because video is obviously, it's a hot topic right now. People are understanding that viewers are consuming videos or consumers are uh, consuming videos in a much uh, higher clip now. YouTube, from a, a traffic standpoint, is growing. So people are trying to get these things, or get different videos created. How should a retailer realistically look at whether they should either dabble in this, hire someone, promote an intern to do this? Are they looking at volume of sales they do? Are they looking at the variety of products? Because you had mentioned that was important for you guys. Um, is it the age of their, their target demo or something else to determine, yeah, this will probably work for you, this might not work for you, or you, you should probably test into this a little bit. Like what criteria are you looking at? Okay, um, thank you for inviting me to this job interview. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking, what would I say? Okay, so first of all, you gotta decide who's the audience for these videos and where are they watching these videos. My inclination would be to be most cost-effective that I would, I would not be making these videos to sort of gain new customers. I would be making these videos to try to close a sale on my website. So. I use my videos to try to like find new customers and create fans and eventually they come to my website and, and buy something. But I've been building up an audience on YouTube for 11 years and I've spent, you know, probably millions and millions of dollars trying to, uh, to do that because that's my business model and the products I sell happen to appeal to your, your typical majority YouTube uh, customer. But if you're a retailer of, I don't know, like home security, security cameras, you should not be spending a bunch of money trying to sort of build up a YouTube channel. You should be making videos to have on your website that close the sales. So you should, you know, if you're going to invest in that, hire some people at, at your, you know, for your company to develop and make those videos. Or if you only need a couple videos and you don't need ongoing videos, then, then hire a company to, you know, or, or an ad agency if you've got um, a lot of money to, uh, to burn and you're somewhat of a masochist, you can hire an ad agency to develop this content for you and, and put it up on your website. And if you wanna use YouTube to generate traffic, there are a lot of, in the long run, cheaper ways to do it than trying to sort of build your own channel. That's not the only thing you could do on YouTube. You could run ads on YouTube. You could hire YouTubers to 
talk about your product and, and promote it. So just use it as a, an ad platform like you would use, you know, uh, Facebook or, you know, AdWords. So that would be my general approach. Great advice. I appreciate the, uh, the thoughtful answer there. Did I get the job? Like, is there a 401k? <laughs> if you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? Uh, <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take, I'll take the job. You got a couple minutes to stick around for some fun questions? Sure, yeah. I pr I say they're fun. They're probably not fun whatsoever, but... No, I, I like it. You know, that's the thing we do here. Yeah. All right, so what's your favorite VAT-19 product? Oh, man, there's so many. Um, oh, there's so many. Okay, I'll give you two. My favorite to eat is probably our gummy watermelon slice because it just tastes so good and it looks so cool. I think my favorite product to kind of uh, like fun sort of thing to use is called the the key picks. It's kind of a strange name, but um, it's like an instant photo printer. No batteries, no nothing. Lets you take pictures from your phone. So you kind of um, it like takes a picture of your phone screen and makes like a Polaroid of it. Okay, um, this is the best way to explain it the key it's it's so cool it's like low tech and and simple but just really cool that you can sort of print all these polaroids from your phone those are two of my favorite right now that is pretty cool and I, i'm assuming people with kids might get just as much enjoyment out of that because you have so many people take pictures on their phones and never really do anything with them nowadays yeah like kids love that instax film but you gotta go get like another camera you know and load that in there and then you take the picture and if there wasn't really a good one you've you've wasted that photo and you know they're not cheap each one of those instant film uh, i don't even know what you call them prints you know uh but this way you know this way you can you can get the picture just the way you want it on on your phone and then put your phone on top of this thing you hit a button and boom out, out comes your instant print which is which is pretty cool yeah that's very cool yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. It's been very popular for us. And I saw it at a show back in um, the very beginning of this year, like January. And it was at the end of a show. And I was feeling depressed because I'm like, there's nothing good here. This was a total waste. And I see this thing. And I actually told the guy, you just saved the whole show for me. This is the coolest thing I've seen this entire time. And it's been a great seller for us. Very cool. Hey, Jamie, is a hot dog a sandwich? Oh, snap. Um, okay. Let's see. No, no. I think it's closer to a wrap than it is a sandwich because a sandwich has two pieces of bread and the hot dog has one piece of, of, of bread. I think it's in more in the, in the wrap family than the sandwich family. Oh man, that's interesting. Did I, am, did I get that right? Is that correct? I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer here, but this really? is this is a raging debate here. I've never had the rap variable come in. Well, yeah, I was just thinking because you know it's kind of, I mean, what? How do people push the sandwich argument? What do they say? Well, it's it's meat between two pieces of bread. But it's not two right? pieces so, of bread. The bun is one piece. Well, that it depends on probably the quality of the bread. But well, okay, okay, let me okay. throw this. You go to a, your favorite sub or hoagie restaurant, right? And they they cut that bread. They don't cut it generally in half. They cut it almost like a hot dog sandwich and then put whatever you want in there. So would that be a wrap or would that be a sandwich? Oh, see, now I see where you're going. Um, well, here's I would I would pose the following: if you if you get a hot dog and the bun 
is split, you feel like a mistake has happened here. That's true. That's true. Now, if, if you go to Subway and, and, you know, they sort of, you know, cut that, you know, thing and, and the, the two pieces were to split apart, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be like, oh, this is a, a mistake and, and no longer eatable, right? Because it's a valid point. Yeah. Cause like the hot dog, you know, it's like, you know, it's the canoe, you know, that, that bun is, is the canoe and it's, it's holding all those, you know, toppings in. And if the bun splits, those toppings are gone. But if my bread splits on a sandwich, my toppings are still there intact. So I feel like that's... Let me diversify here a little bit. Okay. If I take the hot dog, the actual meat out of the hot dog bun, okay. and it's all in one piece still, and okay. I replace it with turkey meat, does that change the, the conversation? Would that be a wrap or in the wrap family? I think, yeah. I mean, I think it's like, it's a branch off that okay. family. You know, I think they have like a common ancestor. <laughs> I'm not sure what the common ancestor to the wrap would, would be. Pizza? Like is pizza an open face sandwich? <laughs> maybe maybe the maybe the calzone. I mean, it's in that like calzone wrap sort of that I mean I, I really feel like also the way it's physically arranged and you you look at it. I gotta think about this some more. It's just not a sandwich. Yeah, a, just a hot dog just isn't a sandwich because you would call it a hot dog sandwich then, and no one does. It's its own thing. All right, let me throw a curveball at you. You guys sell a 33-pound gummy hot dog on vet19.com. Is that a wrap in the wrap family, or is that just candy? Mm, well, okay, so it's probably just candy only because the way in which it's manufactured it's kind of all one piece you can't pull the dog out of the bun so it probably falls into the candy category but i feel like the whole like i'm just saying it's like a hot dog is more like a wrap than it is a sandwich it's not really a wrap i just don't feel like a hot dog is a sandwich because then why does it have its own name then why wouldn't you just call it like a mixed meat sandwich then? <laughs> you know? Yeah, but see, here's so here's the other argument with that, right? People will say the same thing about hamburger. Hamburger has its own name to it. I don't know. I guess you might not consider a hamburger a sandwich, right? But that's generally has two individual pieces of bread for the most part. But it's really just a mm-hmm. heap yeah. of meat, right? It's a taco and bread instead of a shell. I don't know. What do most people think? This this is why it's a raging debate. It is a good it is a good debate. But I feel like other than like pulled pork, which they do call a sandwich, usually comes delivered on uh, a hamburger style bun. So you're opening my eyes up to some other possibilities here. Is, is it your contention then that all of these things are under like the parent of sandwich and that you've got sort of these like subspecies of sandwiches like a hot dog is a subspecies of sandwich and a hamburger is a subspecies of sandwich and a- I think so. I, I I waffle on this one a little bit, right? But I think a hot dog might be like the stepchild here where it's like, oh the family split up and we're got this other person coming in the family. We like him and everything, but he's not really my family. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean this sort of like classification 
like they do in the animal kingdom. <laughs> Scientists debate on this stuff all the time. And I think usually they got to like, like dive into the DNA in order to figure out like who's related to whom and who's a parent of whom and who's related. I don't know if that like is like a new area of research maybe you want to consider for your sandwiches. And, <laughs> like, I might've found myself a new career. <laughs> I don't know, but I, I might be coming around to your point of view that they're all sub species of uh, sub classifications of sandwich. I don't know. Well, maybe one of these days, if you guys ever do this as a video to sell a 33 pound gummy hot dog or something, maybe I could cameo in that, that video. Yeah. It's the hot dog good. sandwich, right? <laughs> the hot dog sandwich <laughs> video. Yeah. That's right. Next time I get to St. Louis, we'll grab a beer and we'll, we'll discuss this. Jamie, you have any guilty pleasures, TV show, music, anything like that? Oh my gosh. What? I guess guilty pleasure means like, you know, it's bad. Yeah. Not so much tv shows but like i love pure pop music love it um i know it's not good i know the music isn't i know it's not it's not good music and i'm too old for it i know that and i should be better right i should i should be like listening to like important music or something um like good music but um you give me like give me some t-swift you give me some Katy Perry you give me I mean even like the newer pop kids that are so good I'll take that all day is party in the USA a good song no okay how about umbop no baby shark none of them are good I don't know how do you find good like on iTunes right the pure pop radio like that's the go-to okay right? if I'm sitting working I hate to admit it but that's the go-to and if like sugar by maroon five comes on I'm like turn that up I know it's not like a great song or like, you know, a lot of Katy Perry, for instance, or even like Taylor Swift, 1989, that whole album, it's like start to finish. Just maybe it's because I sell like giant candy mostly for a living that like I indulge on things that are bad for you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's like the guilty pleasures, like sort of bad pop music. So if you're going karaoke, your go-to pop song, what song are you choosing? Oh, I can't. I can't do karaoke. No, I can't. Oh, but I I, can't. I'm making you. No, yeah, I can't. You're not going to get the job unless you do karaoke. Jay. I'd have to I'd have to mumble it. <laughs> oh, I don't know the lyrics. Uh, I mean, I, I will not sing in public or in like a video. For instance, we have a video series and there's like a challenge in each one. And if I lose our producer here, comes up with it once she was like okay jamie you gotta sing the national anthem and i just flat out refused and it's like you have to do it i mean it's part of the challenge and i was like i won't do it you can't force me to do it i own the company i'm leaving <laughs> you know <laughs> i was gonna say she knows you own the company right yeah but i just um you know it's sort of like an honor thing right you should do the you should do the challenge i couldn't do it i tried i opened my mouth but nothing came out it's you know, some people just like can't do public speaking, right? They'll just like freeze up or they'd like, they'd rather, they'd rather die than speak in public. I would rather die than sing in public. Man, that's extreme. It is extreme. Isn't but that's it? fair. <laughs> isn't it? But don't you have, I'm sure you've got something you're like, I won't do that or something you won't eat or it's gotta be something that you just won't do. I'll do most things. Although I, I don't like dancing. I'll be honest with you. It's, 
it's tough to get me to dance. Eating, uh, there's probably things that I would probably look at and be like, yeah, I don't really want to eat that. I mean, I'm sure there's something I won't do. But that would like cause intense anxiety about it. Oh, I'll tell you what, scuba diving would freak me the hell out. Really? Yeah. Really? I, it's something about why. Like I went snorkeling, so I went to Key West with my wife last year, and we went snorkeling. And I had never been snorkeling before, so we went out to one of the coral reefs out there, and we went snorkeling. It's my first time. My wife had been before, and I did it, and I had fun. But the first, I don't know, three minutes I was out there, like I just, I was out of my element. I just had this like sense of fear come over me, and I was like, this is just not right. Really? And there's a boat, you know, there's a big boat right next to me <laughs> and everything. It was somewhat irrational, but... Yeah, you're like close to safe. I could think of scuba diving and just going oh, yeah. underwater in this open, vast area, not knowing how far away I'm swimming yeah. away from whatever I might be swimming by, right? Like the boat or whatever. Oh. I think I would just have a heart attack. Really? It's not that you think a great white shark is going to come snack on you. No. It's just it's just like sort of... Am I getting stuck down here? Am I going to get lost or kind of stuck down there? Yeah. Wow. Like, that's possible. Like, there are, and this is not going to help, but there are people <laughs> that have gone on scuba diving, like, trips, outings, and they'll leave someone behind, you know, and, 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 and drive back and then they come up to the surface and the boat's gone and they've left them they made a movie about that once didn't they yeah but it actually really does happen to people so i feel like your fear there is somewhat justified but like my fear with like singing is public is that if i do it it will immediately end lead to the end of my life like it will kill me to do this and therefore why would anyone do it it'd be like akin to just jumping off the building like this is suicide to do this is and it's obviously irrational fear but yours is a little bit more grounded in reality yeah but i got like a lot of things right laws of averages it's like cruise ships people fall off cruise ships all the time i say all the time but it's in reality it's two people a year it happens enough so i remember reading the story not that long ago and they they found the the person like a couple of weeks ago somebody fell off and like a a nearby navy or something uh rescued the the person that's a lucky person right there that's a lucky person i know but i mean yeah it happens enough hey you ever think to yourself man what if i have like a, a voice like barry manilow like you just have a perfect voice but you refuse to sing that would be a crime wouldn't it you gotta share that gift don't you so do you have a good voice you just don't like singing oh no 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 that is not because i'm sure if you listen to pop music i'm sure you're singing like you're in the car you're probably singing to yourself right oh sometimes oh i know it's not on pitch or whatever okay yeah no i can't sing all right so you don't have like this hidden talent you're just keeping from the world oh no oh god okay. if i had if i could <laughs> that night's gonna be a very different youtube channel it would just be all covers probably <laughs> <laughs> Terrible covers of pop songs by me. You know, I can't do it. And it's just one of these things that you either can or can't do, right? So I just feel like a little bit like, why me? You know, this has been a really engaging and interesting kind of fun part of that. I'm enjoying this a lot. I wish the whole podcast could be this, to be honest with you. We could. And then at the very end, I could be like, yeah, no, YouTube's okay, but it's kind of expensive <laughs> you know, to get into. <laughs> And that's it. And avoid Facebook. You know, that's pretty much the summary here. <laughs> Use direct mail. <laughs> you know, it's funny, though. I see a lot more retailers going back to, like, older 
stuff you know i see a lot of them trying catalogs and some are even you know pop-up shops or like actually at least the direct-to-consumer manufacturer retailers opening up stores and stuff so i was having this conversation with someone a couple months ago and we were talking about just this the rise of direct mail that we're both getting at our houses and i mentioned to him i said you know what i used to hate direct mail i actually respond to it a lot at least i'm open a lot more to it now than i was a couple years ago and i don't know if that's because I'm working in marketing and, and doing this and, and using a critical eye on this day to day, or it just appeals to me because it was out of the, it was out of my line of vision for so long. And I'm like, Oh, that's kind of cool. It's a nice picture. I don't know what it is, but I'm getting a lot more of it. Like a novelty. I'm much more open to it than I used like to. I can, I can flip this thing over. I don't have to like swipe it. <laughs> I can just <laughs> I can sort of look at both sides so quickly. Yeah. It's very interesting. I read articles recently, you know, about a lot of these, I don't know, they're not really subscription companies. They're just sort of these companies that focus on like one consumer product that they want to ship to you directly, you know, the the, the dollar shave clubs of, of the world or whatever. And how so many of them have, and this is sort of a tangent, but have found that that their costs in, in skipping, going through the traditional retailers who have an audience and saying, well, we're, we're going to go build our own audience and, and cut that middleman out and the prices are going to be way lower, have found it so difficult to get attention. And they end up having to spend a fortune on marketing and advertising. And, and some of them have gone so far as to literally open up stores, like physical stores to come see their product. And then, and then their price creeps way up because you know what they thought was sort of a overhead free business is, is no longer the case and find it very difficult to compete and i guess what i'm saying is there's just no way it seems to get around the high costs of marketing and advertising and the general the appeal of, of social media that you can rapidly multiply your efforts sort of for free with viral effects doesn't necessarily pan out that often. And there's no way to do it other than spending a ton of money to market and promote your brand. You know, it's funny because you mentioned viral a minute ago, and this is one thing I, I neglected to ask you about, but the way I, I look at, you know, if you look at videos and, and talk about viral videos, I mean, you might get that exposure across Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and things like that there, but you know, you get some write-ups and some earned media out of it, but you know, viral things don't last forever. That's why they're called viral. They kind of hit and then they, they go away. So even if, you know, XYZ retailer, you know, they sell pillows for a buck or something, they get a viral video or viral commercial going out there that at some point in the next, you know, week to two, that thing's gone. And then it's like everything else out of sight, out of mind. So even if you've gotten that exposure, they've got to keep coming up with something to keep you sucked in or to keep you tuned in. And most people that or companies that do that, they don't have that follow up there. They just kind of like, oh, we got our name out there and we kind of hope for it. So, you know, everyone else is selling it. Then you got to start spending your ad on that one. So I don't know if you have a different perspective of viral videos. I mean, they could be helpful, but they're not they're not a means to an end. You know, I totally agree with you. What we find with YouTube, which is um, frustrating, is that the what you convince yourself of is, OK, well, if you, if you get these popular videos, you'll, you'll get people to subscribe to your channel, right? Or like you on Facebook, and then you can continue to 
you'll market to them for free. But the reality is that that's not true. You can only market to a very small subset of them for free, you know, a couple percent maybe. Otherwise, you got to keep paying either Facebook to get in front of them or like on YouTube for us, for instance. I mean, we have, you know, five and a half million subscribers. Well, pretty good video for us might get in the first week half a million views. So that's like 10% of our audience sees it. And so you've got to really be pushing and trying to come up with crazy, creative, clever stuff to sort of push it. I mean, we consider a successful video getting like a really successful video, getting like a million views, which would be like you know, one fifth of our sort of supposed subscribed audience. So how do you, you know, get to the rest of them i mean you'd have to you know pay or or whatever and and it's not like the videos we're making are free to begin with anyway so the quote unquote promise of social media seems to me to be just another place you can spend your marketing dollars and there's really nothing that special about it other than the possibility as rare as it may be of larger exposure than what you paid for but it's definitely not a a common occurrence. That's fair. And I appreciate you saying that it's not that special at the end of the podcast so that we didn't tune anyone away. (laughs) (laughs) So JB, I have enjoyed the conversation immensely. I want to be respectful of your time here. Just two questions and then we can, uh, we can wrap up here. Normally I'll set a 15 second timer and ask you to name as many fish as you can in 15 seconds. I feel like you may have prepared for that one a little bit. So I'm going to set a timer, 15 seconds. I want you to name as many VAT19 products as you can in 15 seconds. You ready? Yes. Go. Uh, Miracle Berry, Nano Dots, World's Largest Gummy Bear, World's Largest Gummy Worm, um, uh, uh, the Card Sharp. Uh, oh, you're killing me. How am I not doing better than this? Oh, I'm freezing up. They're my own Time's products. <laughs> They're my own products. I'm just all I'm thinking of. Oh, uh, extreme pop rocks. Uh, I got um, uh, warhead candy canes. I've got um, uh, uh, the pyro mini shooter. Oh, I talked about that earlier. That's almost not fair. Human slingshot. Uh, the Da Vinci catapult. Um, oh, liquid glass putty. Uh, Glow in the dark putty. Uh, um, Your time ended like 30 seconds ago. Are you serious? <laughs> How many did I get? Like five? That was terrible. You got five. Yeah. Five? I feel like But you got you got about five after hours, which is good. It's like extra credit. I I didn't cheat because I, I have my website open in a tab and I switched away from it. And I could have Well, just, I appreciate that. I could have cheated like crazy. That's not bad. You weren't expecting it. You've got thousands of products, so the pickings were slim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh Jamie, uh, any questions for me today, man? Well, you mentioned folks that are crushing it on Facebook, what kind of companies are these generally? Because I can speculate, but you would know. Are they high margin product sellers, expensive products? Are they, 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 they manufacture these things them, themselves? Who's, who's having success on Facebook and, and why? It depends on who I'm talking to, right? If I'm talking to the retailer, I'm talking to the social media agency because they're, they deal with obviously different verticals. The we'll just go from the retailer standpoint. Typically, it's not always the case, but typically it's going to be the retailers that they kind of produce their own stuff. So it's 
you know, I don't, I want to be, I want to be cautious about giving away uh, names, but a widget that they, they have probably, my guess would be 60, 65% margins on those things, maybe a little bit more, but around that. So it's above the 15% mark. Um, so there's typically not always the case, but typically there's some sort of, um, they have the ability to, because they have the higher margins to discount more. So they run the sales on there. So it's not just, Hey, check this out or, uh, coming over, there's a discount in there, but they, you know, they, they've got the ability to pay for the ad and then give away some margins on top of that and, um, kind of absorb that hit a little bit. But I mean, do you see some in fashion as well, but I would say even the fashion ones, they have the ability to discount a little bit more. So that's part of the driving force behind the ad itself. I've seen a little bit from an uptick on kind of using it in a different way as well. So as opposed to saying, Hey, I've got an email list of 300,000 people and I'm going to do a lookalike audience for these buyers or whatever that are active subscribers to my email list. Some of the, the retailers who have found success with this would actually take people who are lapsed customers, right? They haven't purchased in nine months or whatever, or maybe they unsubscribed and they target those people versus your active and engaged people because they've, they, the rationale is, well, they're active and engaged with my emails. So I'm in front of them. They're seeing me. They're probably just not ready to buy me advertisement on Facebook. doesn't really help me with that, but they'll take people who are maybe in their, their quote unquote laps or churned area. And I'll try to retarget them as I don't want to say last ditch effort, but it's an extra effort to try to get that. Hey, can I get them back? Otherwise I'm just going to cut them loose and never talk to them again. So, I mean, there's different strategies with it as well, whether you want to target the active or the, the unengaged or the, you know, the lapsed people out there. But, but to answer the general question, cause I give long winded answers, typically it's the ones that I would anticipate having a little higher margins. There's usually some sort of discount driven behind the promotion where they're able to, to draw the traffic in uh, from that standpoint. So there's a little bit of wiggle room with giving away a little more margin there. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. I could just never, um, I just never get that much success with the direct sales on, on Facebook and yeah, I think I mentioned it, but the one thing we noticed, I noticed so often was just the decline in success of the ad. You know, they, they seem to kind of do well right off the bat. And then within a couple of weeks, they would get, you know, really stale and really ineffective. And it was like, man, this is just nonstop, you know, and I'd rather go make some videos. So I'm done. You know, <laughs> it's like, I can't, you know, you try, you know, a lot of things and you're just like, man, you know, this $60 widget, you know, cost me 30 bucks and it's costing me $28 to get a sale. Like this isn't worth it. You know? Yeah. Well, I, I think that's for business or life. Like I always tell people, if you know who you are and you know what you, you got going into it, your expectations should kind of be set there. So, you know, if you guys know your video is the bread and butter on it and Facebook's not working for you, like it takes courage. I, I think it takes courage to pull the plug on something that seemingly everyone is on whose stocks going although they're down now but tell me about it <laughs> but if you're not i know right but if you're not you know if you're not having success there you know why be there and i, I tell that people in life too like if you go into a, a marriage i always joke around but i'm like hey she knew what she was getting when she married me right it was you know as long as you have those expectations going in you can deal with all the other stuff and me being a jerk all the time and things like that so you sound really terrible <laughs> I know, right? My wife never laughs. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, we've um, love YouTube and you know love that challenge, and we don't really have 
many of our own products. And I, I would say that the last couple of years for us have been very challenging because of the, the changes on YouTube, but also, you know, I feel like Amazon's effect has, I don't know, for whatever reason, the last couple of years, I feel like they hit like a serious sort of tipping point as far as just where people start looking for products. You know, I think, whereas a couple of years ago, you might start at Google and be like, oh, I'm going to search for whatever at Google. You go to Amazon now, you know, and I think that tipping point has made it difficult for a lot of retailers. I could be wrong, but we feel it a lot. I mean, what people call us and tell us like, oh man, like just, just bought your gummy bear off of Amazon, like love it. And we're like, yeah, that's not me. You know, <laughs> you, you bought it from someone else. You know, we don't, we, we, we don't sell anything on Amazon and they don't, you know, sort of realize it or like you go and search for VAT 19 on Amazon and like half our product category, half our products, our most popular products, like show up there, which is a really strange thing because they're not our products. So we found that like, I don't know if other, that might not be the topic of your sort of podcast at all, but it's just sort of like the Amazon effect over the last couple years has been, has definitely increased for us, we feel. So do not sell on Amazon because of the margins. You mentioned you guys are roughly, you know, I'm sure they give and take, but roughly 50% margin and then having that eaten away more by Amazon. Is that the reason that you're not on Amazon? No, most of our vendors disallow it. And they say that they want to be the only person or they've like knighted one company with the ability to sell their stuff on, on Amazon. You know, they say, they, oh, we love all of our retailers, but I mean, they love Amazon a lot. <laughs> and they love all of us promoting their products and creating awareness for it. And then people go to Amazon to actually complete the, the purchase. And we, we found that a lot for us in the last couple of years is we create a lot of interest for a product and then people just go and buy it on, on Amazon. I don't blame them, but it's frustrating. Have you guys ever looked into creating your own products, like having your own line? A little bit. We've, we've created a couple. Like we have, and how I don't didn't mention this on your 15-second thing, but we sell this thing called the world's hottest chocolate bar. We sell a lot of spicy stuff. It's the spiciest thing you can put into your mouth. The chocolate bar is only one inch by one and a quarter inches, and it's divided into 12 squares. So you can imagine how small each square is. And the challenge is, can you eat all 12 squares in 12 minutes? And most people can't get through more than one or two squares. And that's a product we made ourselves. And we made a whole bunch of challenge videos on YouTube. And we, we sell a lot of those. So yes. So to answer your question, yes. But I, mean, I don't want to make excuses and have a pity party. But product development is pretty difficult, especially when you don't really know anything about it. Like, I don't know much about it. I know making about making videos. And just, I've seen so many of the vendors whose products we sell get, earn a level of popularity and get knocked off immediately. And then the knockoffs are selling on Amazon within months of their product coming out and, and becoming moderately popular. There's all these knockoffs at, at half the price they're selling it. And it's just, um, 
here I go ranting about Amazon, but it's listed under the same name and everything. So these people are trading off of someone's trademark name and it's, it's selling on, on Amazon. You know, I just think that a lot of fraud is happening on a lot of intellectual sort of property fraud is occurring on Amazon's marketplace, not maybe by them, but on the platform that they've created that allows third parties to sell there. I think a lot of vendors' products are getting knocked off. And that's been a, I mean, that's been a challenge for them for a couple of years now, but it's really come to the forefront the past year plus where large name brand retailers are, are pushing back and forcing them to crack down. Unfortunately, I think it's always going to be this revolving door. They shut some down and then, you know, someone else just it's whack-a-mole right someone comes down someone else goes up and you're you're always there it's got to be a challenge for you guys do you guys feel pressured into hey we got to jump on xyz product in the next month before it gets knocked off and sell as much as we can in the next month or do you just do you take the long play forward and say hey let's let's do the best we can in the short term but let's just go the long play here and see what you know what can stick around and, until it gets knocked off by the nature of how we promote our products making these videos I, I can't move super super rapidly and we hope that we can be selling a product for a very long period of time and so what you kind of hope is that and i mean this is a weird thing to hope for but that a product doesn't get like too popular yeah <laughs> or if it or if it does it peaks and then and then and then and then kind of comes back down to a level at which it's of no interest to the knockoff folks they can't quite sell enough of them to make it worthwhile but but there's still enough interest that people will try to come and <laughs> buy it from us so i know that sounds like kind of counterintuitive why wouldn't you want massive hits but i've just seen it happen enough times that it's like we can't really try to be like first because it, it takes too long to make the video and it's so easy for any other retailer or Amazon seller or basement Amazon seller to just steal a picture off the internet or take a picture of their self real quick and, and have a product up, you know? So we try to take a longer, you know, a longer approach, but we also try to come up with other ways to find ways to sell products in a, in sort of a different configuration that, you know, can't be replicated on, Amazon, which is why we sell a lot of like food and and candy that folks don't want to sell on Amazon. Either the, the price is too low, or it requires special, you know, packaging. Like like it's going to melt, you know. So we sell a lot of stuff where you you've got to package it up in like melt protection, and Amazon's not going to do that. That makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Well, it's got to be challenging, but I, I wish you guys the best of luck on that front. It's got to be. I mean, that's got to be a, a revolving door. That's just probably hitting you anytime, every day. Oh yeah, all the time. Probably not wrapping up anytime soon. Yeah, and the pricing wars, you know, are always um, a challenge. But we we try to focus on what we think makes us uh, special, which is the the videos, basically. So we just try to remember that you can't really knock off a Vat nineteen video. There you go. That could be a challenge in itself. No, because I don't want to see some twelve year old that can do it way better than we can. <laughs> <laughs> If someone's knocking those off, they got a lot of time on their hands, man. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Good questions. Any any other questions for me, Jamie? No, I think that might be it. This has been a really good conversation. We kind of had two different conversations, which is cool. I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. We'll have info in the episode description on how to contact you, your website, things like that. If someone wants to reach out to either you or the company, what's the best way for them to, to find you guys? Oh, just the contact form on our website is the, is the best way. And we, we read it, you know, it, it's not going into a black hole. 
we'll, we'll read it. And if somebody really wants to get in, in touch with me, if you use the contact form and you say, hey, will you, will you send this to, to Jamie? Our customer service folks will, will send it to me. Very cool. So that's uh, vat19.com. So V-A-T-19, number 19.com. And again, it'll be in the episode description. So feel free to, uh, to jump down there and, and check them out. Jamie, thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thanks. It was fun. Thank you for letting me ramble. Yeah, that was good. So thanks everyone else for listening, uh, including the listener of the week, Nicole from Newton, Massachusetts. If you'd like to be a listener of the week, let me know you're tuned in. And if you're interested in telling your e-commerce story, I'd love to hear from you as well. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Until next time, have a great day and be kind to one another. Bye.